Warning, today's episode of the Alberta Advantage is also an episode of Seriously Wrong. Makes no difference where I go, you're the best hometown I know. Hello Calgary, hello Calgary, you know we love you. This can't be right, right? Hello and welcome to The Wrong Advantage, a fun mashup podcast between the Alberta Advantage that you know and love and the Seriously Wrong podcast that you also know and love. My name is Kate Jacobson and I'm going to be hosting today's episode here on both of these podcasts stuck together as unlikely bedfellows. I'm joined in studio by fellow Team Advantage members Joel. Hello, hello. And Sean. Hello. And then we are joined over the phone by the wrong boys, Aaron and Sean. Hey, uh, this this one's Sean. <laughs> I'm Aaron. This <laughs> is nice to be with y'all. Yeah, it's great to get together and do this. So the premise of today's episode is that we are going to destroy Justin Trudeau with facts and logic. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm pumped for this. Yeah, he's not going to survive this one. I think he's going to have to resign after he hears what we do to him here. <laughs> but uh, Before we get started on this, can we all at least admit that he's very a very attractive man? Yeah, sure. And uh, he's super woke. <laughs> yeah, and he's never done anything wrong. Let's just get that out of the Justin way. Justin Trudeau, he's handsome. He's a woke bay. He has NATO socks, which girls are very into, mm-hmm. I think. Girls love NATO. Two groups that really love Justin Trudeau are people attracted to him and then also lobbyists very attracted to him. Gosh, I hate him so much. I really can't do like ironic jokes about Justin Trudeau because my brain snaps about halfway through the sentence and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I hate his guts. Yeah, to have like this, the mixture between a progressive front with this like really insidious neoliberal capitalistic capitalist realist pro being lobbied outlook it's a really distasteful combination you know you know i like the gender balance cabinet and stuff like that but putting a gender balance cabinet in that context it just it really sours the whole progressive agenda if you will Yeah, and I think Justin Trudeau, to me, is emblematic of a really problematic tendency in Canadian politics writ large, which is that Canadians like to pat themselves on the back about being better than America and being more woke than America, when in reality, Canada is just as awful as America and is always a willing partner in the worst crimes of American empire. And and one of the consequences of that, of that sort of progressive image of Canada as a nation and Trudeau's progressive image, is that it sort of disarms a lot of meaningful public opposition that could theoretically be rallied against all these free market worshipping conservative policies that the liberal government is so fond of passing. But because, you know, Trudeau's wearing his woke bay socks and photobombing people and Canada is not uh, to the same quantity and cruelty putting people in prisons, we're just putting in people in prisons quietly, people just sort of look the other way and stop thinking about all of the conservative, backwards, free market economic policy that Trudeau is emblematic of. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've seen in popular culture that really was very symbolic of this 
tendency that Justin Trudeau represents was the first season of The Handmaid's Tale, which I watched, oh, I guess whenever it came out, like a couple years ago. And in it, there is a Canada. And in this Canada, they literally have like a gay cabinet minister who's always doing like sassy clapbacks at like the Americans and they're in Canada's always like accepting refugees and being like wonderful and welcoming and multicultural. And it's like, look, Canada would be like arresting people at the border and like politely handing them back over to this like evil theocratic state that exists in The Handmaid's Tale. And Justin Trudeau, like he is totally using that image of Canada to reinforce his own personal brand and vice versa. Canada's progressiveness is like we got gay marriage like 10 years before the U.S. finally did it a little more. We legalized pot a little bit, but it's like these things that are good but not the like the meat of it the main stuff that you need which is like economic justice for all of the people in the country but like you know it's it's something and we get a little bit before the u.s pushes it through and we have health care there is sort of a relationship between this like canadian self-image um, of these good things that were like alleged to be alike, although in practice we're not in, in many ways. But because of that, Canadians have like a self-image where like when Stephen Harper attempted to bring in that um, that like Australian racism strategist in the in the 2015 election, <laughs> that Harper hired a, 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 an Australian racism strategist to send dog whistles out that would help him win re-election in this tough election. But it was like widely rejected by people because they see of themselves as anti-racist. I think that's like the reason why, like, I don't want to hand it off to the liberal party and be like, congrats, you legalized weed because you were so benevolent. It was like, you legalized weed because the people across Canada wanted to legalize weed for like 15 years or 20 years before it happened. Do you want to look your best? To brighten up your wardrobe? To convince Canadians that you're more progressive than you really are? Well, you're in luck. Introducing the Justin Trudeau Sock Collection. Bright, fun socks that will help you usher in the bright, fun, neoliberal future that you've always dreamed of. The Justin Trudeau Collection includes such favorites as... Rainbow Pride Socks. Perfect to wear while going forward with a $15 billion arms deal with Saudi Arabia. Or try Canada Flag Socks. Perfect to wear when ignoring indigenous communities who still don't have clean drinking water. And who can forget the rubber ducky socks? Perfect for buying a pipeline that will end up killing actual ducks. With these socks, you're guaranteed to get glowing write-ups in the New York Times and Vanity Fair. All while you work tirelessly to perpetuate a violent, uncaring, technocratic regime that is wholly unprepared to deal with climate change or the rise of international fascism. Order yours today! We've talked a little bit about Justin Trudeau and about why he sucks and why we don't like him, but where did he come from? Why is Justin Trudeau the Prime Minister of Canada? Why was he the leader of the Liberal Party? Who was his dad? His, his dad was Fidel Castro. <laughs> Let me just clear that I've up. I've seen the side-by-sides. They look really, really convincing. I'll be honest. So I personally love the conspiracy theory that Justin Trudeau is Fidel Castro's son because it fits Justin Trudeau into this beautiful category of like left-wing fail sons that I think is like really poetic. I don't know where the genetic material came from, but I know that he definitely didn't get the social position of Castro. He got the social position of Pierre Trudeau. Yeah, so for those of you who aren't familiar, Justin Trudeau's dad was Pierre Elliott Trudeau, who, wouldn't you know it, was also the prime minister of Canada. I love living in a democracy. 
<laughs> There's this great story from Dave Barrett, who is the NDP premier in the 70s in BC and one of the, the more left-wing premieres in Canadian history at a meeting leading up to the time when like Petro-Canada was established, uh, where Pierre Trudeau took him aside and said, like, can you believe it, Dave? It's only... Only me and you and the whole room are socialists. No one else here is a socialist, which is funny because he, he wasn't a socialist. Dave Barrett apparently called him out on not being a socialist. And, but then they made Petrocan. Hey, that was sort of, you know, nationalizing something. That was pretty good. It yeah. was kind of neat. So, yeah, apparently Pierre Trudeau did used to be like quite left wing because in a book we were reading once, there was this text where Pierre Trudeau was quoting Mao to dunk on the CCF for not being left wing enough. He was like, if you read Mao, you would understand like that you need to be more left wing. <laughs> yeah, a little I know about Pierre Trudeau was that he also kind of campaigned towards labor, making promises to labor that he later went back on. Was also a kind of like that they use the phrase Trudeau mania when he was in office to describe his cult of personality. Being born into a political dynasty as a young kid and sort of like part of this rich family growing up that's also in the public eye. There's like this old footage of like him as a kid going to see Empire Strikes Back and being like, yeah, I like Star Wars. And it's like, this is the prime minister's kid. He likes Star Wars. It's on the news. Like that sort of life trajectory, I think really can explain a lot of what I would call sort of like the doe-eyed goofiness of Trudeau, where he just seems sort of like legitimately out of touch. Yeah, uh, I, I think I differ in opinion here because I think it's all like a carefully manicured act. I think he has the cold-blooded shark eyes of a killer. I think you think he knows, it's all kayfabe? I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think that his entire appearance is being groomed to be exactly how it is, for him to seem non-threatening, for him to seem genuinely like, oh, you know, I'm just such a cheery guy who thinks that Canada can be a better place as I, you know, invest in public-private partnerships. I think that he's he's a shark. He's a clout shark. Have, haven't you seen the footage, though, of him falling down the stairs? <laughs> <laughs> God, I hate him so much. Oh, never mind. You're right. He's just a normal guy like you and me. But this is one of the things that's so that's so frustrating about him, though, is that he can he can do the jokey thing. He can be very social. He like he, he can be very appealing on TV in a kind of like, oh, I could probably have a beer with that guy or, or smoke a joint with that guy or whatever it is. But he doesn't seem to like grasp or or it seems to communicate no knowledge of or no real analysis of like the big problems that face our society today. And that's really like where we need someone. We don't need someone that you can joke around with. We need someone with actually some sort of like political analysis and political leadership. Yeah, I don't know. He might be like a shark person, but like there also is a lot of people who do the kinds of things that people like him do because they think they're the right thing to do. When you said he know he knows exactly what he's like he acts like he's this person who's just trying to do the right thing for Canada, but he knows exactly what he's doing. And I was like I I think it might be both, if you know what I'm saying. Like when when you look at politics through a leftist lens so much, it's hard sometimes to imagine that people don't think like we do, but like most people don't think like we do. This is unfortunately very true. Yeah. Well, I think Trudeau's the type of guy who's like, yeah, we're going to do pharmacare. We're going to give medicine to people. That sounds great. Last meeting I had. Okay, now into my next meeting. Leaves that meeting. He's like, I just had a, such a fascinating conversation with that lobbyist. Apparently, we can't do pharmacare. Huh. Yeah, I think he might actually legit just be sort of an idiot, like a really privileged idiot 
detached from reality, has these blinders that come from his like lifelong trajectory along just like getting things all the time. Like now you're the leader of the natural ruling party of Canada. You're probably going to be prime minister in a couple of years. And he's like, oh, wow, I just finished my like smoking weed phase four years ago. Like he just so much stuff is handed to him and he's like a handsome guy. He probably just just bumbles around the world being told he's wonderful all the time. It's it's probably true that a lobbyist could swing him on anything at any time. Like he could come out of a meeting and be like, huh, apparently we have to execute the homeless. Who knew? That's social justice. Something you said and something I have taught myself to learn through living under the Alberta NDP is that sometimes people are just dumb as rocks. They don't read books. They don't think about what's happening in the world around them. They don't talk to other people outside of weird Ottawa cocktail bars where they talk to people of their exact class. And then that's how their politics are formed. And they are just genuinely incredibly stupid. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the blindness that comes with the social position, the affluenza, is so, so powerful. And if you can think of like, and just like for audience members or whatever, you know, we have all different types of like relative privileges or whatever. And just like how hard it is like to be aware of them and like confront things like whatever, like men speaking over women and stuff like that. Like it took a really long time for me to like get my head around it. And then it took like just repeated like experience. So like, I just don't think the people in these positions are getting those like repeated pieces of feedback of like, hey, you're super out of touch, like rich idiot guy who uh, listens to lobbyists too much and doesn't listen to people who are suffering enough. Like he probably needs to hear that three or four times a day. I don't know. I think Oakham's razor here is still just that the rich have class consciousness and know what's best for them. I think he I think he knows what he's doing. I would say here's my take as of this podcast is that Justin Trudeau might be genuinely quite stupid and out of touch. But the liberal project in Canada is incredibly well developed and incredibly clever. And the way they instrumentalize Justin Trudeau and his public image, no matter how genuine or constructed it is, is incredibly detailed and well thought out and meant to enact political hegemony upon us. There, that's the synthesis. Yeah, I think I agree with that also, that he's an individual idiot, but he's part of a system that includes a lot of very clever and manipulative people. That sounds right. And especially if you look back on like the history of, you know, different liberal governments and different liberal campaigns, it's just like it's part of the the sort of like bread and butter of this party to like, you know, deke to the left on this, you know, campaign on the left, govern on the right to make like there's like these examples of when the Paul Martin government was was like falling and they were about to campaign, they made all these announcements like, oh, we're going to build schools in these indigenous communities and we're going to do, and they made all these big promises they knew that they probably wouldn't have to deliver. And then when Harper took over, just like all of those promises only existed as promises from the government and never existed any sort of like policy or any sort of follow through so that the government had no obligation to follow through on it under Harper. And then obviously Harper is like piece of awful shit also so like he had no desire to do that sort of stuff so like i just it this is like you're saying part of the the liberal project as a whole in canada has had this like long long history of 
making these sort of like big sort of promises and then either half delivering on them or just like fully abandoning them when people aren't paying attention. Yeah, the Canadian historian Ian Mackay has a great way of conceptualizing Canada that I think is really useful here. And he says Canada isn't even really a nation. It's just a project of liberal order that is extended over a spatial territory. And he, of course, is talking about liberalism as the like intellectual and political tradition. But the Liberal Party is the representative and kind of natural ruling class of Canada and I think is representative of that tradition. And I think you see that both historically in Canada and also in a very, very contemporary sense. And now it's time for the old Trudeau Takes Two meetings sketch. Uh... Mr. Trudeau, sir, I'm here for a meeting. Oh, yes, come sit down, please. Oh. Our government is listening. Tell me. Okay, well, first off, we do not have any pharmacare or dental care. It's very hard for our families. All my teeth have fallen out. They call me Little Gummy. It's very embarrassing at school. I cannot afford my medication that help my teeth to grow back in. Can you give us any sort of dental or pharmacare or anything? Little Gummy, I'm very happy to share something with you. Now, look look at my sock. It's uh, a tooth. It's a tooth, just there, like there you There is need. a tooth on your sock, yes, but it's made out of fabric. And I don't... I've got a little brush in my desk, and I'm brush, brush, brushing my sock tooth. Uh, do you brush your teeth? I, well, I used to, yes. Well, we need to get more young people involved in politics, so I'm so excited you're here to share your story with me and the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, Uh, As for your specific needs and requests, we are going to have to urge patience. Now, Uh, we need to be reasonable. We can't ask for unicorns and rainbows. This is Canada has to be a country for everyone, uh, not just the poor and the needy, everyone. What? But I'm not asking for unicorns and rainbows. I'm asking for just basic care. Now, I know that you're hoping to one day join the middle class, and I think you're going to make it, little gummy. But I've got another meeting, so unless there's anything else... um, I have to go. Here's here's a pair of socks. Oh, well, oh, these are much too big for my malnourished feet. Oh, it sounds like you need to drink more Canadian milk. We support our dairy farmers. Well, okay, all right. Will that help my teeth grow back in? Absolutely not, no. Okay? uh, Your darts are kind of roughing me up a little bit, so I don't think I have much... uh. Bye-bye, thank you. Vote again. We'll do the promise. Hey, Trudy, Trudy. Hey, it's my favorite uh, lobbyist slash lawyer. How's it going, bro? Ugh, so good. So good. Well, mm, little fly in the ointment, honestly. Uh, Some of these new new regulations, you wanted to ban putting this... uh, Here, I got a list of these toxic substances that are in a lot of our products. Oh, yes, we want a fresh, clean Canada. We need to ban the toxic substances. Yeah, see, well, there's just... You know, according to the trade agreements, if you do that, if you ban these substances, it's going to cost us a lot of money and I'm going to sue you. It's allowed. Oh, yeah, yes. The investor state dispute settlement clauses of the international trade agreements. That's not just something that we inherited. That's something we actively fight for around the world. Yeah. And, you know, I couldn't thank you more for it. It really like gives me as a capitalist, a representative of capital leverage over you and your government. So, you know, we can launch the lawsuits or maybe you could just roll back the regulations. How about both? both? Both. Yeah. Yeah. Pay us the settlement and roll back the regulations. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Hell yeah. Canada, we're good to our friends. Now, if you're saying that this list of chemicals that we were going to ban Mm. makes your Canada any less fresh, 
any oh, less clean. Far less fresh. Then we're yeah. going to clean up this list of chemicals that we've banned. Yeah, cross that one off. Cross oh, that one, one off. This one here, yes. Yeah, yeah. Actually, if you could just rip the whole page and toss it in the waste basket. Oh, sure, friend, yeah. Um, so how much money should we give you for no reason now? Mm, I don't want to say too much, but... A few billion, at least? How about this? We'll give you $250 million as a one-time settlement, and then we're going to completely gut our environmental legislation for you. Oh, $250 million. You drive a hard bargain, but... I have to run a Canada for everybody, not just the corporations. Okay, okay, okay. If you're going to let me use these chemicals that make little kids' teeth fall out, I'll take the 250 We have a 15-year plan to provide dental care to children like that. Expect yeah, whatever. It in budget 2032. Mm, that makes no difference to me. I pay for my kids' dentists easily, so... Okay, thank you. Would you like any of our gold bars? Here's just some gold bars for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here, maybe I'll get one of my servants to kind of load up as many of those as he can carry. Oh, your servant's so small. Don't you feed him more? I've been, I've been roped into servitude by this man. Help me, Justin Trudeau. I don't want to carry these oh, gold God, bars. Oh, God, his teeth are falling out. He gets enough. The servant gets plenty. Don't listen Ow, to him. Oh, your whip. Oh, come over here, servant. I know one day you're hoping to join the middle class. And know what? I think you're going to make it. Yeah, don't give him any ideas. Okay, no. well, I've got a meeting, another meeting I need to get into now. I can leave. Do you want to give me those socks, though, also? I really like those teeth socks. Oh, yeah, you can have the socks off my feet. Oh, thank you. Perfect. Bye. Thanks. Great meeting. Goodbye. Bye, little servant. And Please uh, do something about this. He's put a, one of those collars from Fallout on me that explode if I try to run away. some things about Justin Trudeau and why he sucks, but to get into some of the specific things he's done, and I think even to take the issue of cannabis legalization, like, pretty good to do. Thank you, Woke Bay, Justin Trudeau. But, like, it has not come with any tendencies toward racial justice or economic justice that would actually make this a truly just piece of legislation. So, like, the people in Canada who have cannabis-related criminal records are disproportionately black and indigenous. And the legal market for cannabis is, like, extremely dominated by, like, big corporate boards with, like, literally former politicians and police chiefs owning them. I think it goes without saying that these people are majority white. So, like, you really, when you're looking at cannabis legalization, need to be looking at the expungement of people's criminal records. And you need to be looking at reparations for communities that were impacted by the carceral state and by the way in which uh, cannabis consumption was incredibly over-policed in Black and Indigenous communities. That, that to me is like a, the cannabis legalization issue is to me like a really good example of the way that Justin Trudeau is like socially progressive, but fiscally nothing, like fiscally the status quo, where like you'll be looking at something like this and it's like, okay, that is good on the surface, but it's lacking any of the substance that would actually transform our society or the social relations in it in any meaningful way. Yeah, just like the gender parity thing, it's really just a way to expand the capitalist neoliberal hegemony that we're within as little as you can to encompass just like a new border of what was originally in opposition to it. And he did it in such a way that with cannabis now in Canada, it pretty much just turned into another 
outlet for investors and capital to pump tons and tons of money into. The, the way that cannabis is being commercialized and turned into this like investment that people are are pumping all this capital into and, and really turning into this market-based thing is a very liberal outcome of the legalization of cannabis and is probably not the best one, all things considered. I mean, as a cannabis user myself, I've got some major problems with the way that this legalization has come forward. On top of what we're talking about in terms of like the economic justice piece, the past pardons, people currently serving sentences for things that later became decriminalized. The reason we decriminalize them is because we understand and affirm that they're benign, that the use of cannabis is a benign thing, or it's something that can be part of society and not be criminal. So to take people who previously were prosecuted for nonviolent cannabis offenses and then to keep them in prison and to yeah not make it up to them in some way i think is just disgusting social policy but then some of the details about the way this has been legalized um, are also really i think idiotic and shameful for canada the use of plastic you know when i used to buy weed from a guy down the street it would come in like a light plastic bag that could be reused and you know it's a good system ziploc bags sandwich bags we've been doing it for decades but that wasn't good enough for, for Trudeau's legalization. Instead, we need to have these thick plastic recyclable containers that just like so much plastic waste is coming out of cannabis legalization. And if you want to buy pre-rolled, you can't buy them in packs. You've got to buy them in a single and it's in the middle of all this plastic and this box and shit. It, it's disgusting. I'm, I'm going to the black so market. So my other great frustration with the way cannabis legalization has come about in Canada is that when it was happening, Justin Trudeau really dressed it up in all this language of public health and of this public health approach to drug policy. But when I look at the way that cannabis legalization has happened, and then I look at the Trudeau government's other approaches to public health issues concerning drugs, there is just absolutely no substance there to back up that rhetoric, right? Like, Tens of thousands of Canadians have died from overdoses since Justin Trudeau has become prime minister. And like the federal government has been incredibly slow on any of the issues that are under their purview as they relate to the opioids crisis and as they relate to overdose epidemics. So to me, to see this like very friendly, market forward, finance oriented approach to cannabis legalization dressed up in the language of public health when people are literally dying on the streets because there's no safe supply for drug users is really, really just kind of despicable. Yeah, I mean, we need to decriminalize or legalize all drugs and recognize that drug users are human beings and give them access to clean and safe, not just clean and safe drugs, but free drugs. We should be giving people who are severely addicted to opioids access to like medical use opioids at the highest quality possible this is the only way to deal with the issue and to not to not deal with the issue that way i think is is yeah condemning people to death in a really disgusting way and it's exactly the sort of like both sidesism within like the liberal strategic liberal apparatus that makes these sort of like very calculated decisions about how they're going to on this front we're going to seem progressive here but we're going to be really hardline pragmatists or capitalist realists about this and like that whole mechanism comes back continually with stuff that is extremely profitable to people who are already rich and doesn't really seem to be focused on like the actual principles of justice yeah well that profitable to people who are that's the thing like cannabis legalization you can make a lot of money on that dealing with the opioid 
opioid crisis and providing clean drugs to addicts, like addicts of opioids, not all of them, many of them are very poor, many of them are homeless. These are people who don't have a lot of money. You're not going to make a lot of money solving this problem as a woke liberal prime minister, so it's not on the table. You can make money selling Narcan kits, though, if you're already rich. (laughs) Everything is an opportunity for capital accumulation. Hey, welcome to my apartment, American cousin. Thank you for letting me stay with you. You can chill on the couch or whatever and stay here. I just got to go to an organizing meeting for the local riding association for the uh, left-wing party I'm with. Oh, really cool. What are you up to? You got Democrats up here? Yeah, no, okay. So in Canada, we actually have three major parties. There's the conservatives, that would be like your Republicans, the liberals, that would be like your Democrats. And the NDP, that would be like if Bernie Sanders had a party that had like 18% of the seats for the last 40 years and had sort of a reputation for letting down the left when they were in power at the provincial level. So that's what I'm going to go to the meeting for. That sounds amazing, though. You must have so much more progressive of a society here because like you have actual options beyond, you know, free market conservatives and free market liberals. Like I assume just having this NDP option on the ballot has dramatically increased the progressive policy options that Canadians are willing to talk about and debate and take on? Uh, Sort of. I mean, sometimes. There's also, we also have the Green Party, which is like, they usually get like six or eight percent of the vote. And they elected two people recently federally, but like never had before that. So they usually sort of like siphon off some support from the NDP. But then also usually what happens in elections is like the liberals usually are in power. And like every time that they're not in power or they run a risk of not being in power, they'll be like, oh, the conservatives will get in unless you vote for us. So then like everyone who might vote for the NDP or the Greens are like, oh, shit, (laughs) this electoral system sucks. I guess we're going to vote in the, the same pieces of shit again. No, that's how it goes. It's the first past the post system. So it's like, even though we have three parties, functionally, uh, they make it like a two party thing most of the time. So it's, but they try to make it that. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the fact that you have progressive parties in Canada, just like we want in America, but people don't actually vote for them because they're afraid of splitting the vote. That seems like it sucks, man. Yeah, yeah, and they support their policies. The people who don't vote for them support their policies consistently in public polling. They support the policies of the NDP and the Green Party way more, but they just don't vote for them because, yep, I don't know. I don't know. So we've gone a little bit into cannabis legalization, but electoral reform. He promised to do this, and then he just gave up on it and kind of, like, tossed his hands in the air and was like, oops-a-daisy, like, what can I do? I'm only the prime minister, and my party only has all of the seats that matter in the House of Commons because we form a majority. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big proportional representation nerd, and, like, electoral reform more broadly is, is great. I would have even settled for, like, the, the liberals' preferred alternative vote, I think, which is, like, where you have a ranked ballot. And they preferred that because they thought they'd always win. They're, like, everyone's second choice. Conservatives make them the second choice to keep out the socialists. The NDP, or who they think are socialists, the NDP makes liberals a second choice to keep out the conservatives. And you have a natural, like 
you know, liberals sort of rule forever. But all the experts said, and all the public testimony said, and all the other parties on the left said, proportional representation is the way to go. And that was like the clear consensus. It was like 70 plus percent of all these different things across the board, experts, public, everyone was saying proportional representation. And so their excuse was, oh, well, we couldn't find a consensus on the right system. And also, if you have proportional representation, then we'll probably elect Nazis to parliament. We need to protect everyone from the Nazis they would elect if we actually had democracy. Super reprehensible arguments. And like, you can Nazi-proof your legislature by making being a Nazi illegal. <laughs> I was going to say, Maxime Bernier's People's Party of Canada, or whatever the fuck the fascists are calling themselves these days, is polling at like 10% nationally. So I really don't see how First Past the Post is keeping Nazis out in this case. And it also really shows the limits to liberalism as a political project, where like the height of their imagination is, oh, if we triangulate the voting system in a certain way, fascists might not be able to get elected to our legislature, rather than, as you suggest, just making fascism fucking illegal, or see the truly liberatory or emancipatory project, which is just, what if we created a society that was good and didn't actually create fascism because it wasn't constantly trying to reconcile these awful contradictions within it? What if we had genuine, extremely good, like decolonial and anti-racist education that would be able to help people who were on the path to becoming Nazis so the rest of society wouldn't have to deal with their shit? Like, those are the political things that actually have vision and actually have somewhere to go. Yeah, leave us the liberals to have, like, the most free market, uninspiring way of dealing with Nazis, and that way is don't do anything. <laughs> just leave it all exactly as it is, and that will just fix the problem. The thing that really upsets me about electoral reform, and it, it doesn't just stop at Trudeau as the problem, is, you know, I'm going to talk about society here for a second, man, the system. It doesn't matter who's in power. They all have these same fucking blocking points. Okay, so like you look at the example of the Alberta NDP. They mentioned proportional representation in their platform before the election. Then once they took power, it just suddenly disappeared. In BC, John Horgan, currently BC NDP premier, he ran on having a referendum for electoral reform. And the Green Party, which ended up forming an agreement with him in order to form government, had in their platform that they were going to make electoral reform a reality without a referendum. So they come together to form a government. They make a deal behind closed doors. And the deal they make behind closed doors is that they're going to have a referendum on electoral reform. Well, that fucking thing was so poorly run, like in a province that supports electoral reform, that supports proportional representation, if you do public polling generally. It's a 50% plus one ballot. It ended up with like 30% of people voting in favor of electoral reform. It was like a mail-in ballot. It had extremely confusing questions. And the people who were in charge of campaigning for it were all tapped like through the premier's office and did shit all. I'm, I'm still pissed about it. And the word is that in the secret negotiations between the Green Party and the NDP here in BC, uh, Norman Spector, who is a negotiator for the Green Party, has said since that the leader of the BC Greens, Andrew Weaver, had Horgan quote, by the short and curlies and could have got anything that he wanted in order for Horgan to form government. So why didn't he ask for electoral reform? Well, the reason he didn't ask for electoral reform is because he knows that if there was proportional representation, more Greens would get elected and he would lose his special place within the 
the Greens as the first one, the one who got elected for them, this leader in this context. So he was worried about his leadership, so he sold out electoral reform. And Horgan thinks that he can hold on to the government through first-past-the-post, so he sold out electoral reform. Trudeau thought that he could win under first-past-the-post again, so he sold out electoral reform. So who's going to fight for electoral reform? No one. It's fucking bullshit. I don't think anyone who gets to power through a certain system is going to be at all invested in changing the system that brought them to power in the first place. Today's episode of The Wrong Advantage is brought to you by Green Modernism. It's when you grow the economy and help the environment at the same time by building a pipeline. But Mr. Green Modernist, sir, aren't those two things fundamentally in contradiction? Won't maintaining and expanding the pipeline blow us past our IPCC targets? Wait, 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 maybe they mean that pipeline to bring clean water to everyone in Canada who doesn't have it. Maybe oh, that's what he means that's by a pipeline. pipeline expan- oh, sir, is that the type of pipeline you're advocating to nationalize? No, absolutely not. I'm talking about the pipeline that moves bitumen and how it helps grow the economy at the same time that we talk about how climate change is real and we put a tax on carbon. They just go hand in hand and they make us feel great. But Mr. Green Modernist, the IPCC says that if we go above 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we're all gonna burn alive in our homes and be tortured by scarcity by 2080. No, 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 it's, it's not about that at all. It's about how you feel when you hear it. The economy and the environment working together, they go hand in hand. It helps if you put your hands together when you say it. They go hand in hand, and then you just, like, drape your fingers and interlock them together. That makes sense. So you imagine one hand is green and one hand is economy, and then... Yeah, and then just, like, shake your hands together, and you feel great when you do it. Here, let me try it. Okay, this one's green, this one's economy. Oh, yeah, it's all right. I, I, yeah, I, see? Hand it, in it hand. Works. On to another way that Justin Trudeau and the federal liberal party totally dropped the ball. Here's an axe we love to grind here on the Alberta Advantage. They bought a pipeline. They talk about climate change all the time. They bought a fucking pipeline. They paid money for it. And now they're going to build it. They paid so much money for it. Yeah, they own a pipeline that they paid for with cold hard cash. Yeah, and it's just like, I mean, we've gone over this a hundred times, but just bears repeating. Building fossil fuel infrastructure to export bitumen from some of the most carbon-intensive oil production and extraction facilities in the world is not compatible with climate justice, it is not compatible with the Paris Accords, and frankly, at this point, it's not really compatible with life on the fucking planet. This pipeline goes through the unseceded and unsurrendered territory of dozens and dozens of indigenous nations in interior and coastal British Columbia who have not consented to this pipeline passing through their territories. Also, like, all the jobs on the pipeline are temporary and non-union. They're all through this, like, fake bullshit management union called CLAC, which stands for the Christian Labor Association of Canada, which is literally a <laughs> union made up by management so they could get certain contracts. The entire thing sucks ass from beginning to end, and I cannot believe the Trudeau government purchased it. Like, Kinder Morgan shareholders have got to be laughing all the way to the fucking bank. Oh, yeah, they paid way more for that than they should have, too. I mean, like, even if you're in the business of buying pipelines, which we shouldn't be, like, you got a pretty good negotiating position. You could probably get a pretty good deal on it. 
Like if you're going to talk to the CEO of like a pipeline company and you're like, hey, um, we're going to buy this pipeline because it's going to be blocked by political opposition. Otherwise, it's the only way to get it built. So like basically you're fucked. You should give it to us for one dollar. I mean, it's a rusty pipeline. Or maybe it's not rusty, but I mean, it's like, what, 50 years old? It's 60 like, years old. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ancient and it probably needs a lot of repairs and has junk in it or whatever. So why not pay top dollar for it? It seems really unwise to me. And this to me also is part and parcel of another huge problem I have with Trudeau, which has been, honestly, what can only be termed like the reconciliation industry, which is Justin Trudeau, like trotting out to make teary apologies and like receive headdresses from certain associations, while like the material conditions of Indigenous people who live in Canada are part of like ongoing and material colonization and dispossession. And while Justin Trudeau's government was literally part of sending the police and military to Wetaswin territory to help fucking build an LNG, like natural gas pipeline. It, it is so grotesque to see happen in real life. And, and I think it's based off this like very problematic idea which is pervasive in Canadian politics, which is this idea that colonization is something that occurred. And yes, it was very bad. And like, we all agree it was not good. And we're sorry, but that's over now. And we're going to apologize. And now we're going to move on instead of seeing colonization as like an ongoing material and social relation that continues to impact Indigenous people in Canada today. Well, it's like anything else in the liberal project where instead of actually trying to fix anything structurally, you just pay lip service to it. You have a very persuasive looking speech and a flashy photo op, and then you just pretend that the problem's been solved. Uh, well, there's how many communities that still don't have water scattered throughout Canada? It, it's despicable. It's, it's a way to give this veneer of progressive politics, of a progressive mindset, without making anyone's lives any better. Yeah, that's that's part of my big thing with the unforgivable nature of the Trudeau government is the the lack of clean water on reserves for indigenous people, which was a situation that he acknowledged during his campaign, talked about fixing, and then we're still in the situation where there's just thousands and thousands of people who are deprived of clean drinking water and in like third world conditions in Canada. It's like, yeah. When I was looking up stuff for this episode, there's this Trudeau meter, politometer thing about like broken promises, kept promises, and et cetera, uh, working on. And when you look at the various sections on that website, the section for promises about indigenous rights and indigenous people had the most red lines in it, the most broken promises. And it's just like for the amount that he talked about that kind of stuff during the campaign and then the amount of things that he's gone back on and not just gone back on but gone back on in like really harsh and like disgusting ways like we've been talking about it's just one of the worst things about him is this indigenous rights stuff like they said they were going to immediately adopt the united nations declaration of rights for indigenous people they did not they said they were going to guarantee first nations communities have veto power over natural resource development in their territories they did not they said they were going to review repeal and amend all existing laws that did not respect indigenous rights or were passed without proper consultation and they did not it's just like so gross. I want to connect this to a second for epistemological justice. It's important that we 
take note of who is taken seriously and who isn't. And I think the voices of indigenous people are not being taken seriously by Trudeau and his government. And that's shown by very clearly on on the aforementioned Trudeau meter when you go to the indigenous promises section and see it's like oh weird it's like you know he he usually keeps about you know 60 70 percent of his promises on any given issue except for the promises that relate to colonialism and a racialized community within Canada that's you know wh- why is that why why that one specifically yeah what a weird coincidence and I think it's because Trudeau really fits into this like indigenous like rights sort of like framework where like the entire premise of engaging with colonization in Canada is just kind of recognizing things or just like looking at them and being like hmm that's bad like our government recognizes that there's no clean drinking water on reserves but then not actually moving past that in any systemic way yeah it's very much a recognition of like the history being bad but then looking at the real life consequences today and being like well there's not much we can do about that today but it sure was bad that it happened back then boy that looks terrible good thing good thing there's no lasting uh, consequences to those historical acts everything trudeau's done so far and said so far about indigenous issues in canada feels a lot more like just trying to make colonizers feel better about the issue yeah than actually trying to help anyone It's just like, oh, you might feel bad because you're a settler in Canada and so much of your social material position in this country is A, completely undeserved and B, built off of the historic and ongoing genocide and dispossession of all these groups of people. But you don't have to feel bad about it anymore. It's okay. Well, we're not going to keep our promises on this stuff, but if you don't vote for us, the guy who doesn't even promise it is going to get in. Here I am, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, just out waiting for any arms deals that might occur. Anybody shopping for arms? Canada's happy to sell to you. Just hello, hello. Oh hey, uh, it's, are, are uh, you are you Justin Trudeau? I sure am. Yeah, uh, I can tell by the socks. Looking good. Thank you. I uh, wear a different pair every day. You know, that's what only true progressives do. I really respect that. As someone from Saudi Arabia, that really speaks to me pretty intensely. You should try. It. Maybe I should. Maybe I will. But we have to make this a little brief. I am on my way to the next WWE event in Saudi Arabia. We just love them. But let's let's get this out of the way. Let's uh, okay. Let's, uh, well, yeah. So buying? let me just uh, open the back of the van here. So I've got, uh, they're called LAVs, LAV3s, not the sequel, but the, the trilogy. It's fitted with a two-man turret. Uh, it's armed with the M242 Bushmaster 25mm caliber chain gun and a coaxial 7.62mm machine gun. So one of those is on the top on the turret. It's got uh, also some grenade launchers on it. Um, nice. Yeah, two clusters of four launchers positioned on each side of the turret. Great. We're going to do a lot of peacekeeping with that. Yeah, they're they're great for peacekeeping grenades. Nice. Um, yeah, so they're basically like armored uh, personnel carriers, but they've got like tons of guns and grenade launchers on them. So they're mostly used for peacekeeping. People love peace, love these. Yeah, Yemeni children are really weak to peacekeeping grenades, so it's good that these things are, are equipped with them. Now, is there anything else? We love them. We'll take them. Okay, uh, yeah. we, we need as many of these things as we can get. There's a lot of Yemeni children that have yet to be enforced with peace, had peace delivered to them. So anything else you need to clear up before we can drive these things away? Yeah, you're lucky because they're on sale. I've got uh, over 900 of them ready to ship and they're only $15 billion. So as long as you got the money, I think it's a great deal. Oh yeah, I actually have them in my wallet right here. $15 billion. Let me just, uh, yeah, these are these all look like none of these billion dollar bills are counterfeit. Thank you. So uh, actually before we like settle this deal, there's a little checklist I really need to um, 
walk you through. All right. And so just like try to answer these as honestly as possible. It's just, you know, kind of paperwork and making sure everything's on the up and up. Oh, I know what you mean. Hit me. Hit me with a question. So first of all, are you a theocratic government? Are you a theocracy? Oh, definitely. We have like a ruling family that passes down power from generation to generation that derives its legitimacy through a reactionary religious force. So yeah, okay. mark us down for yes. Okay, uh, just gonna put a check mark in that box there. Uh, all right, uh, do you torture dissidents at all? <laughs> oh man, not supposed to talk about that a whole lot, but a wink. Yeah, oh, okay, sure. I, I think I understand that's yeah. a definite yes check. Death penalty. Are you still killing people with the death penalty? Just need to know. I mean, has anyone ever stopped? Yeah, I mean, we kill a lot of people. I Have you watched the news at all? <laughs> I mean, what's what's the point of having a monopoly on violence if you're not going to use it, right? Okay, exactly. So definitely, yes. Okay, good. Good to know. Check there. Have you ever crucified anyone? You know, we've been meaning to do it more, but sometimes, you know, you can get a bit lazy. But yes, on the odd occasion. It sounds like a like a tentative yes okay so tentative check yes. crucifixions what about just like sending hit squads out to like brutally murder journalists and maybe like disassemble their bodies and carry them out with garbage bags okay i've only done that once but it worked out really well so we're thinking of doing it a few more times okay great uh check there Let's see, is there anything else on this list? I'm sorry if I didn't live, live up to your expectations. I mean, no, not uh, that big of a country. We can only do so much. That, you, you've been doing great work here, so don't don't worry about it. Oh, well, that's good to know. You don't care how we use these LAVs, right? Like, you, you don't really mind what we do with these. We just have free range to sort of go wild, right? I'm sure you're going to use them for peace and not any of the military conflicts you're involved with right oh, now, yeah. right? This might be a translational error, but we love peace. Peace is great. We like doing peace all the time onto every uh, all of our surrounding neighbors. Uh, so uh, we're going to be definitely doing a lot of peace with these things. Yeah, as long as you're doing peace, it's fine. Oh, and uh, one last thing. So the folks at home, they get kind of upset uh, sometimes when we we do these massive arms deals to folks that sometimes they don't share exactly the same values. Mm. So we're going to... We're going to drag out the approval like for like years, but don't worry, we're going to build them and send them to you. It's just like the we're, we're going to keep saying the final approval hasn't been signed off on or whatever. And we're going to we're just going to draw it out mostly so people lose interest so we can quietly sign off of it, on it whenever it's convenient. Is that uh, is that OK with you? As long as I can see Stone Cold Steve Austin land a few uh, stunners, I'm fine. OK, great. Pleasure doing business with you. Let's shake on it. It was a pleasure. So moving on from one of the most egregious ways in which Justin Trudeau is awful to maybe only a slightly less egregious way in which Justin Trudeau is awful, public-private partnerships. Boy, do they suck. They are always just giveaways to the private sector at the expense of the public sector. They always take longer. They are worse when they are constructed. Uh, and they oftentimes lead to much more precarious and unregulated labor. Bad all around. Yeah, the excuse that they always use is that this uh, lowers the risk on the public sector uh, when, when undertaking new infrastructure projects. But the reality is, is that the risk ends up being all loaded onto the public side, while all the benefits end up going to the private side. Part of the public-private infrastructure loans in this infrastructure bank is covering any risks of covering the butts of any of these giant corporations that screw up, uh, manage to not be able to complete a project. It ends up being the public who is on the hook for paying for that. Yeah, and, they, and they'll justify it by saying like, oh, like we need to back these private companies and what they're doing, or they won't, they won't do it otherwise. You know, it's too risky. 
for them. So, you know, if we back them up, if we make these promises to them, then it'll get done. And that's that's good. Yeah. If you coddle them, they'll do one eighth of what we need at twice the cost. These aren't partnerships. It's, it's parasitism. These are private parasites on the public. The system is designed that way. Basically, the way that the system is set up in Canada, now we don't like to talk about our corruption because we're a real nice, boy howdy, rosy cheeks country that's doing our best. But the way the system is set up is you have these firms, these huge firms like SNC-Lavalin and others that make huge donations, donations all across Canada. Uh, they throw these events, they brush elbows with these guys, and they, they, they're, they're, they're your friend, they give you a bunch of money, and then when you get into power, they lobby you for contracts. So you end up spending, oh, we're going to donate this amount of money, and then we're going to get 10 times as much when they give us this contract. It's basically a blank check. And these contractors who take these public-private government contracts know that they can do huge cost overruns they can give competitive bids that they never intend to meet in the first place it's like it's you structural across the country and i think there is existing studies on public private partnerships in canada and their extreme failure to to have responsibility to the people who are paying for them and the people who are supposed to benefit from them but i think this i was actually inspired by jason kenny of all people and his public inquiry into environmental groups now i know this is this is probably something that's a lot more present in your day-to-day politics over at alberta advantage than it is over here in bc but i was inspired by that i was like oh yeah you can just make a public inquiry into any fucking thing you want well let's do a public inquiry into public private partnerships and see how much money it costs who is responsible and was there any criminal wrongdoing involved because at the very least and now i think there probably is a great deal of criminal wrongdoing that you could find if you had the power to compel documents and a federal public inquiry on this so like actual legal culpability legal wrongdoing we could probably send some motherfuckers to jail with this thing but then even if you didn't find any motherfuckers to send to jail you could create a public conversation about how public private partnerships never fucking work make huge amounts of money and at the very least although you know you might not be able to track the exact corruption the whole thing is pretty fucking corrupt if you just look at it objectively the whole back and forth of the whole thing so yeah that's my uh, idea inspired by your awful premiere Oh, yeah, I will not rest until I see someone from SNC-Lavalin perp-walked. Like, that is the future I want in Canada. And SNC-Lavalin, like, there is no greater example of a public-private partnership and what that really means than that entire hullabaloo. And now it's time to explain just what the heck this SNC-Lavalin thing even means. Like, what is that? What are we talking about? So SNC-Lavalin is like a giant engineering and construction firm. Yeah, they get a lot of contracts with the federal and provincial governments, and they have close ties to the ruling Liberal Party. And in fact, they were actually found guilty in court in 2015 of running an illegal donation scheme where they donated over $100,000 to the Liberal Party illegally and were forced to return it. Mm -hmm. And they're only a little bit involved with extremely violent and cruel mining operations around the world and in the global south. Just a little bit. Just, ooh, they just dabble in it. Just the right Canadian amount. Well, who hasn't? So there was a scandal in Canadian politics recently. You know, powerful corporate lobbyists at Ottawa were getting meetings with the Liberals. You know how you do. You're brushing elbows with the guys, having some martinis. 
And they said, we want this thing called the Deferred Prosecution Agreement. It exists in a bunch of other countries, and it basically allows for the attorney general and the government to make a decision to not charge corporations for things they did that were illegal, as long as they sort of like show good behavior and show remorse for it. Mm. Seems to me like Justin Trudeau did a little bit of illegally ordering the top legal authority in Canada to not prosecute one of his major donors. Yeah, that's what happened. The attorney general, Jody Wilson-Raybould, she got upset about that and she was shuffled out of cabinet by Trudeau because she didn't want to do that necessarily. She wanted to like follow the nice neutral law process, you know, like hold corporations legally accountable for their crimes. And in this case, do you remember the details of the SNC case that they were being found guilty of? They spent like $30,000 on prostitutes using SNC-Lavalin money was part of it as part of like a deal with Saudi Arabia. Does anyone remember the details of this? They did bribe Libyan I just, I just never. Oh, maybe it was Libya. I think it was Libya. In that case, you know what? They did something right, allying with Colonel Gaddafi. We're all big third internationalist way fans here, green book readers. So, you know, good on them. Just making Gaddafi jokes that no one's getting, I guess. <laughs> no, and, uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it was Libya. Yeah, they, the SNC-Lavalin was charged with bribing Libyan officials in exchange for construction contracts. Yeah, they were found guilty of offering bribes worth $47.7 million to Libyan officials. Who am I? And <laughs> they're also alleged to have defrauded various Libyan public agencies of over $129 million. Okay, okay. Disrespectful to the people of Libya. Ripping off the Canadian people. That's one thing. But ripping off the people of Libya, come on, that's just not cool. And so, you know, these stories uh, overlap in the sense that Trudeau and the prime minister's office put pressure on the attorney general asking her to do a deferred prosecution agreement for SNC-Lavalin, because if they did prosecute SNC-Lavalin, they wouldn't be able to bid on public contracts. And they wanted to maintain the ability to have SNC-Lavalin continue to bid on public contracts. There was a dispute. She was shuffled out of cabinet, and then she took her story public. And now she's running as an independent. And uh, yeah, that's basically the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Mm, that'll solve things. Got it. Now you know. I think it's important, though, to remember that this isn't like a bug in the system. This is how it's supposed to work. I mean, this is just neoliberal politics working as intended with no real thought or desire to actually make life better for anyone or to actually, with these infrastructure projects, actually do them well or make sure they're functioning. That is not the primary objective. The primary objective is to grease the wheels of capital and to keep this whole free market zombie lurching forward another couple of years. Sean, more and more people are saying that the state is nothing but a committee for managing the affairs of the whole bourgeoisie. What would you say to this? I would say that uh, they're onto something. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode of The Wrong Advantage is brought to you by nauseating liberal puff pieces about Justin Trudeau. 2015, Vogue magazine. Justin Trudeau is the new young face of Canadian politics. 2015, McLean's, behind the scenes of Trudeau's Vogue photo shoot. 2017, Rolling Stone, Justin Trudeau, the North Star. Why can't he be our president? He was raised in jet-set privilege, but overcame tragedy to become Canada's prime minister. Is he the free world's best hope? 2017, GQ, Justin Trudeau's Chewbacca socks. <laughs> Justin Trudeau's Chewbacca socks are the leader's newest fun socks of choice. 2017, Vanity Fair, an in-depth reading of Justin Trudeau's Chewbacca socks. 
Trudeau often dresses his feet to the theme. He wore brightly colored Eid Mubarak socks to a gay pride event that fell on the Islamic holiday marking the end of Ramadan, and NATO socks at the NATO meeting. Some have called it sock diplomacy. 2017, The Guardian. Can Justin Trudeau's sock bring peace to the world? 2018, In Style. Justin Trudeau's sock game deserves a standing ovation. Trudeau tackles hard-hitting topics like women's education, but he kept the mood light with an adorable pair of socks. Yet, he's at it again with the fancy footwear, and the internet is loving it. Today's sponsor of The Wrong Advantage. So, moving on to a little thing called the Canadian Ombudsperson for Responsible Enterprise, the liberalism just dripping off that part in our notes. As you may or may not be aware, Canada has a huge problem with international human rights abuses as committed by resource extracting corporations, primarily uh, related to mining. I believe somewhere around 80% of the world's mining corporations are actually headquartered in Canada. And the main reason for that is because Canada is something of a secrecy jurisdiction, so you can hide uh, a lot of what is actually involved in your operations when it is headquartered in Canada. And boy, do these people want to hide what actually constitutes their operations because it is not great when you look into it. And six different UN bodies have actually urged Canada to appoint this independent ombudsperson to investigate human rights abuses. The Liberals promised to do it. And then through extensive industry lobbying, watered it down so much to where it's no longer independent. It's now like just a public servant and this special advisor to the prime minister. So it's this fake ombudsperson, which is basically the result of just the Justin Trudeau liberals getting fucking lobbied to death. Oh, weird. The liberals doing something that's as superficial and ineffectual as possible in order to preserve the status quo and make sure they don't actually have to change anything. I can't believe they do something like that. This fake ombudsperson, I think, is not only like a spit in the face of human rights in general, you know, which should be respected around the world, because these are massive, massive human rights violations happening by Canadian companies, and that Trudeau has the power to do something to stop that, and has chosen not to because instead he's brushing elbows at cocktail parties with these guys. So not only is this ombudsperson insufficient to actually investigate the real human rights abuses, companies are also allowed to use this ombudsperson to, to file complaints about unfounded human rights abuse allegations. It's like the reverse racism of corporate responsibility ombuds people. It's an ombudsperson that's set up and designed so corporations can use it to complain about other people saying they're human rights abusers. And now it's time for the old Canadian Yellow Vest sketch. Now, you might have heard of the Yellow Vest all the way across the pond over in France, but you might not know that there are some Yellow Vests right here in Canada, and they're a little bit different. This is them. Oh, hey, man. Nice yellow vest that you're wearing there at this protest. That's really a good look for you. Thank you. Yellow's Thank your you. color. I think it makes me very visible here. I'm, you know, just standing up for what I believe in. Oh, I like your sign. Trudeau is treasonous. Are you talking about CETA, the international treaty that Trudeau signed that allows foreign corporations to sue the Canadian government if their businesses aren't profitable? That was treasonous. Well, look, I don't know a whole lot about that. I mainly just don't like Trudeau because I think he's anti-oil. He doesn't believe in Alberta. He doesn't believe in the hardworking spirit 
that has defined our cowboy culture for this last however many years Alberta has been a province. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, Trudeau isn't very strong on cowboy culture, is he? No, no. Uh, he, he more prefers the culture of the feminists and Islamic-style immigrants that have been making their way across all of our many borders. Cool, cool. So, like, what's... What sort of the strategy of the whole, like, your yellow vests? You know, sell me on it. I'm walking down the street. I'm like, da, 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 da. I see your protest. I'm like, hey, maybe this is the one for me. What things do you, when it comes to mind, like, policy that, that you don't like from Trudeau, what do you think of, first and foremost? Yeah, nationalizing the oil pipeline and betraying electoral reform promises and blowing past the climate targets, actually, which wouldn't even hit the IPCC two degrees targets. And obviously, two degrees is in itself insufficient. So they didn't even hit the target that wasn't going to hit the target. So that's pretty bad because it's going it's to make us die. I didn't understand a single word that you just said to me. I'm mostly concerned by the fact that Justin Trudeau has been pumping estrogen and other type of feminizing chemicals into our waters and stopping us from using traditional homegrown pure Canadian plastic with our fork and other eating type utensils. Can I interest you in the belief that Justin Trudeau doesn't actually want the pipeline built and is instead playing 12 dimensional chess? And you know what? I'll believe it when I see shovels in the ground. That's true. Shovels in the ground is the only thing that I care about and it's the only thing that I like. And until I see those shovels and until they're firmly in the ground, all this talk about buying a pipeline, that's just in through one ear and out the other. It's like I never even heard it. I think the worst part about the whole thing is that he actually promised to not put feminizing chemicals in the water during the 2015 campaign. Six months in, he meets with the feminizing chemical lobbyist. Boom, in the water supply. Damn. It'd just be like that, though. I know that the only thing that's going to get Alberta out of this dire straits is the strength and leadership of a perpetually crying Quebecois man in the form of Maxime Bernier. Hey, actually, just before when I was talking about the feminizing chemicals in the water and told that anecdote about the lobbyist, that's actually a true anecdote, but the, it's not, the chemicals in the water part isn't true. The actual thing is that they promised to close a tax loophole that allows 8,000 extremely high-income Canadians to knock an average of $400,000 off their income taxes every year which actually costs $750 million a year. They promised to close that tax loophole. But then six months after being elected, Bill Morneau met with some lobbyists and they were super convincing. So still goes on to this day. That's my real problem with Trudeau. So well, good to meet you, that, Yellow Vesters. Keep that's up preposterous. The fight. You're saying that they could be getting more tax money from the richest Canadians, but they, they refuse to take action on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. They did. The best part is they articulated it so clearly. They're like, this is the spot that has the most egregious tax loophole for the rich. We acknowledge it exists. Then they get into power and they don't change it. It's incredible. It's like they did oppo research on themselves. Well, uh, you know what? I think you've actually convinced me. Screw all this turning the frogs gay stuff. I think I think we need to deal with these tax loopholes. Is there any reading I could do, particularly something about how capital works and operates throughout society? Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Here, I've got an extra one in my bag. Here it is. It's Mao's Little Red Book. It's the only thing that you need to read if you want to understand how capitalism operates. Oh, it's so short and breezy. I can feel like I can just get through this in, a, in an afternoon. Thank you so much. Yep. All the secrets in there. It's pretty straightforward. And all the problems with the NDP, too, are in there, by the way. Okay, I'll, I'll let you go. Well, uh, you've really opened my eyes. Thank you, young sir. Oh, thank you, young sir. Now, you have a great protest, and like I said, that vest looks damn good on you. 
So something we've alluded to a lot throughout this episode, but I think is worth really teasing out as its own point, is that the liberals campaign to the left and then they govern from the right. And this is quite a popular saying about the Liberal Party of Canada, but what does this mean? How does this play out in our real electoral and political lives? Well, I think that a part of the reason why they did that in the last election is because they knew that there was a popular appetite for a left-wing government, especially after so many years of Harper, of having this very neoconservative, machine-like government that I think left people wanting a serious change. And the party that could have theoretically been positioned to provide a vision of actual change, the NDP, took the baffling decision of instead promising to just make things worse, I guess, by pledging austerity, by saying that they weren't going to basically spend any money whatsoever, which left this huge opening on their left flank for Trudeau to swoop in and say, no, we're actually going to spend money on things, and people like things. So unsurprisingly, that came back and bit Mulcair in the butt. Yeah, Tom Mulcair got the worst fucking advice I've ever seen in my life like i couldn't believe the level of incompetence that was shown or just misreading the room like just totally misreading the room like he refused to distance himself from margaret thatcher he was promising balanced budgets because he was so afraid of being sort of like the boogeyman socialist that the advice that he was following was basically like oh no we would never run a deficit even if it meant that we couldn't take care of people we wouldn't run a deficit deficits are top tier for us like we'll we'll never do that it's like obviously you should say if people need help we'll give it to them like that's the heart that's the left you know like it's so fucking cr- and then he spent all his time like in the debates like smiling to the camera and it's like hi i'm tom Mulcair. i'm your friendly grandpa everything's normal with me i'm just another normal prime minister put me right in there nothing different will happen too much it's like the exact opposite of what people wanted to hear They wanted someone who was going to kick fucking Stephen Harper's ass on the stage. And the fucked up thing is that Tom O'Care is a smart guy and he was like a really sharp debater and he could have torn him apart. He could have totally stood out on the stage and they just totally, totally just got their lunch eaten by the liberals. Yeah, uh, Tom O'Care had this real reputation uh, in the House of Commons as being an attack dog of really like going after in a very sort of like angry way what the conservatives were doing and then like obviously he got advice from his panel of terrible experts to say like okay we're afraid that people will see you as angry so the only emotion we want you to to convey is like a a really stilted weird smile and a crazed look in your eyes can you do that and he's like fine and then (laughs) then you get this just like like joker like performance in the the debate which just looked off it did not look natural at all (laughs) it's worth noting that the team behind Mulcair was the same team behind Leighton's breakthrough like a lot of people think of Leighton being like super leftist or something or like at least sufficiently leftist and then Mulcair being like a dip from it but Mulcair was completely doing the Leighton playbook but without like Leighton's charisma so they needed a new playbook for a different leader the problem was that they used the Leighton playbook so he's up on stage trying to be Leighton just like oh I'm just your friendly down the street next prime minister and it just didn't work at all for him because he's like an intellectual and a policy wonk and an angry guy and he should have just got fucking angry he would have totally won and then so like the trudeau liberals saw there was a loophole there so they promised to like close tax loopholes on the rich and raise taxes on the rich to give a tax break to the middle class they read the room so right and like meanwhile mulcair saying like i will never raise personal income taxes for anyone no matter how rich they are, I promise. Which is like, again, the opposite of what people wanted to hear. 
Well, something we like to say about the NDP here on the Alberta Advantage is that the NDP actually stands for never do politics, and they will never do politics. That's actually the guiding ethos of their party. And I have a quick note on the Trudeau liberals here, not to be a huge nerd, but Gramsci's theory of transformism, which is basically this idea that in kind of a state or in like a ruling class, there exists this gradual and continuous absorption of dissident elements within whatever kind of constituted political body you have. And that what happens is that these people who are oppressed and in some way like challenging this system of domination are absorbed and neutralized. And the leaders of these existing social groups are kind of absorbed into the power apparatus and used to police their own followers. And that when there is any kind of genuine popular outcry or there is any kind of genuine progressive desires or popular desires, they are actually just used to strengthen the ruling class. And it's pretty amazing that Gramsci was an Italian Marxist theorist because this perfectly describes the Liberal Party of Canada. And it's what I find so incredibly troublesome about them is that Justin Trudeau has really adopted this rhetoric and aesthetic of progressiveness. The Trudeau liberals are constantly like using all of this political capital and whatever like electoral political capital exists and has been created by the left, by indigenous movements, by trade unionists, anti-war movements, whatever you have. And then they're spending that political capital on things that don't actually do anything. And the example I always go to here is Justin Trudeau making those comments about how resource extraction can't or man camps were part of gendered violence towards indigenous women and girls. And I think about how that dominated the news cycle for weeks and weeks on end. Conservative politicians still bring it up. He like clearly faced like a lot of blowback for it, but it didn't actually do anything besides saying it. Because the thing is that like politicians are going to have to say and do things that are unpopular and they're going to have to spend that political capital. But Justin Trudeau just spends it on like reinforcing the power and the hegemony of the Liberal Party of Canada and not actually solving the issues he purports to care about or talk about. It's this incredible political system being used for such unbelievable evil. Yeah, and, and the effect of that is then that the average voter sees all this political rhetoric that's so progressive, that's so forward-thinking, result in absolutely nothing changing or improving in their lives, and then they just start thinking that progressive politics is hokum, that it is a lie, that it's politics as usual, that it's not to be trusted, and they shift right. They react. Or they don't vote. Or they don't vote, yeah, or they give up. Okay, now, uh, this next one goes out directly to Justin Trudeau, we know you're listening. Someone passed this on to you. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to all these critiques in good faith and, you know, really letting it hit you so you could sort of grow from it. But now it's time to act. There's three months until the next federal election. It'll probably be on October 21st. What are you going to do before then to show that you've heard the clarion call of the wrong advantage? These critiques are potent, sir. They're correct, sir. Please... Will you just do it based on the quality of the ideas? And I would just like to add, Mr. Prime Minister, that we are not calling you out. We are instead calling you in. Makes no difference where I-